called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your one? Anybody in my family? Young, he's handsome. They know it. He's a poet, a prophet. Joel ain't have a daddy. Who would have dreamed he'd carry over to the set? I met OB as an OG in the set. That's how I was left. What up, what up? It's your man Jay Hicks back again. With the preseason podcast of the year. If I sound a little down in the dumps today, it's because I'm a little down in the dumps today. Not as down in the dumps as I was yesterday, probably. But I'm still feeling the effects. As a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan and supporter. To hear the news that Deshaun Watson is out for the season with a shoulder injury coming off of the most exhilarating and arguably best win of the Browns history of this new expansion era since 1999. It is just devastating. Isn't even the word to begin to describe it. (laughs) We're going to get into it all. This is going to be a very Browns centric podcast i do have some other takes i want to get to regarding the nfl maybe one on draymond green if you follow us on twitter or x you can probably guess where that's going by virtue of the fact that i said i'm from cleveland you can probably also guess where that draymond take is going for that reason i'm gonna try to get into a little hip-hop at the end we'll see if you got the time for it i don't know i might just burn through a few takes that i've been holding on to because it's been a little while since i've got at y'all but jay hicks is here man i appreciate y'all joining us Again, it's the preseason podcast of the year, the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. Things get busy. You know what I'm saying? I, I got I got a lot of little ones running around. I got I got a full-time job and all this other stuff, but I, I try to make time where I can. One of my three sons, Quincy. I love you, Quincy. Quincy's all of two years old. And he has a love for football. And all Quincy wants to do is, as he calls it, watch the brownies with dad. That's what he says. He says, I want to go watch the brownies with dad. That's how he says it. And when he first said it, my heart melted. And I said, all right, son, that's what we're going to do. So like when we come home from church or whatever, or even throughout the week leading up to the game, I'm like, come on, Quincy, we're going to go in the basement and watch the brownies with dad. Like, that's what we're going to do. That's our, that's our. Our ritual, we're going to watch the brownies with dad. Interestingly, the brownies come on typically during his nap time. So he ends up missing most of the game. But I was holding him in my arms. I was holding him and my oldest son in my arms as Dustin Hopkins drilled a field goal to send the Browns to victory over the Ravens just this past Sunday. And not, what was it, 48 hours later, 36 hours later, we get the news that Watson's done for the year and like not only was it like well we got to see about his ankle he was he was favoring an ankle he went in early into halftime into the locker room to get treatment we got to see how he's feeling see how what he's doing whatever whatever that was only part of it he was kind of working the shoulder throughout the course of the game he did that in the Arizona game a couple times too 
Nothing seemed that serious. Huge games coming up on Sunday against the Steelers, who already beat the Browns this year. Browns with the opportunity to go 7-3 and three with a home victory over their arch rival. Everything was lining up. And then this news comes down on Wednesday morning. The last time I spoke to y'all, and by the way, you can come uh, hit us up on, on X or on Facebook, twitter.com slash HHS report. I guess it's x.com slash HHS report now. I don't know. Hit up the website, hiphopsportsupport.com, if nothing else. We got a lot of content on there from years past where I've I've ripped the Browns, I've praised the Browns, I've I've given so many Browns takes, oh so many throughout the years. But the last time I talked to y'all, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast as well. The last time I talked to y'all, my man Brandon Pope was on the podcast with us. Now I would be remiss if I didn't mention and I didn't shout out my boy who's going places as I told y'all. Brandon Pope since the last time we saw him or heard from him has is, has become an Emmy Award winner specifically he won a Chicago Midwest Emmy Award for his television work uh, I believe for his show On the Block in Chicago so congratulations B Pope TV Brandon Pope give him a follow on X and, and shout him out and congratulate him for the tremendous work that he's done. He was on the podcast. And in addition to being a great television host, he's a pretty damn good football prognosticator as well. Why? Because of the many accurate things that he said. Well, for one, he said that the AFC North was going to be the best division in football. And Brandon was right about that. I was a little skeptical about some of the other teams in the division. He was dead on saying that the AFC North was going to be the division to beat. And that all four teams were playoff caliber. And it appears that way as of this time which I never gave you the date for today I don't think today's Thursday November the 16th so this evening we're heading into Monday Night Football or excuse me Thursday Night Football the Ravens will play the Bengals in a what's all of a sudden become a huge game but both Brandon and I the last time we talked to y'all were in agreement that the Cleveland Browns were on the precipice for one of their greatest seasons in recent memory This was going to be one of the best football teams that Cleveland has fielded in a long, long time. All the signs were there. In fact, go back and take a listen. I think everything has lined up for the Browns this year. For one, they have to do it this year because people's jobs are on the line. All of the intangible reasons for a football team to come together exist within this football team. Everybody hates the Browns. Everybody hates Deshaun Watson. So there's that nobody believes in this thing. Everybody's picking them to finish last for all the reasons in the world that don't have anything to do with football. You have the passing of Jim Brown. You have Joe Thomas going to the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame uh, enshrinement ceremony taking place in Canton, Ohio, right up the road. You have a fourth place schedule. You have Watson, as you mentioned, a full season with Stefanski. Uh he is now relieved of the majority of all of that off the field controversy and stuff that he dealt with last year. Then, and that, and that's all before you even get to the roster pro football focus would tell you that the Browns have a top five offensive line. 
The Browns won seven games last year with that mess at quarterback. Nick Chubb, best running back in the league. Miles Garrett, best pass rusher in the league. You know, the improved weaponry on the outside. The defensive line, I think, is going to be outstanding. It's going to be the best defensive line that Miles Garrett has ever played with. So, um, and they brought in Jim, Jim Schwartz to run the defense, who's a Super Bowl caliber defensive coordinator, which is more important than any, any of that, you could argue. So, I, I believe that everything is set up for the Browns to succeed this year. They're going to beat the Bengals on Sunday. They're going to win the playoffs. I believe they're going to win the AFC North, and they're going to go to the playoffs. They're going to win a playoff game. They're going to host a home playoff game. This yeah. team is ready. But you can't find a team that has a better combination of quarterback, running back, number one receiver, offensive line, number one corner with Denzel Ward, and number one pass rusher. There's no better team in football than the Browns, period. There you have it. I mean, was I not on the money with what I had to say about the Browns? I mean, come on now. Like, give your boys some props, okay? I mean, I mean, I, I, I nailed that. Stuck the landing like Simone Biles, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, that was... My assessment of the Browns was dead on. I told you that... Well, not so much about Deshaun, but I'll get to that in a little bit. I told you about the running game, the offensive line. I told you about the defense being much improved, the defensive line being a, a monster. That was all accurate. I said that the Browns were going to win the division. I said that with great confidence and conviction. As it stands today, the Browns are actually tied for third in their division. Or they're actually tied for second, but they're in a in a third place slot by virtue of a tiebreaker having lost head-to-head to the Steelers in one of the most absurd games I've ever seen in my life. But they're only a half game behind the Baltimore Ravens for first place. At 6-3. and three. So, just to recap real quick, the Ravens are 7-3, and three, the Steelers and Browns are both 6-3, and three, the Bengals are 5-4 and four going into Thursday night. And the Ravens-Bengals uh, matchup. Now, there's been so much said in the news and in the media about Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. So much so that I had to do a podcast about it. Like, I just could not hold in my silence any longer. Kids be damned. You know what I mean? Toddlers be damned. I gotta, I gotta get this out. Because what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, once again, the idiocy that just drips through the airwaves is just maddening. If you follow the Browns, if you have functioning brain cells, anything of the sort, okay? The arguments that are being made about Watson, about the Browns, they're all stupid. Just about just about none of them make any sense. And I'm here to take down the dummies, y'all. This is attack this is the attack of the dummies podcast. I'm going after all dummies. Alright? I've had enough. Had enough. I'm so sick of this crap on how they cover the Browns and how they talk about the Browns. Even uh, Browns fans, there are pockets of Browns fans, just pure idiots. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just, it's just, it, it makes my head hurt. You know what I mean? Like all the dumb arguments, they just get lodged into my brain and then I get a headache. And it's like, man, I have to go on the, uh, go on the offensive. I have to attack these morons where they live. This is the quintessential Attack on the Dummies podcast. 
I want to talk about Deshaun Watson first. And then we'll get into the Browns as a team momentarily. To listen to the national media and much of the local media and much of social media, you would hear about how much Deshaun and his $230 million, $234 million fully guaranteed contract makes it the worst contract in sports. It's the worst trade in football history. The fact that the Browns traded multiple first round picks and additional later round picks plus signed Watson to this unprecedented guaranteed contract. It's the worst trade in the history of football. That's what they would want you to believe. Here's why those people are dummies. All right. First of all, this was a five year deal that they inked Deshaun Watson to five years. Okay. This thing was never going to be solved in year one or two. You know what I'm saying? Like we were never going to have the finished results of this until years later. Now, if you want to say up to this point, if you want to add the caveat as of this point, the Deshaun Watson trade has been whatever, or the the decision to trade for Deshaun Watson has been uh, abject failure up to this point. If you want to throw in that caveat, I can let you slide on that. You might, remove yourself from the dummy line at that point. Okay. If you can manage to formulate enough coherent words and phrases to get that point across, then I'll listen to that. Okay. Because things have not gone as planned. Okay. Even I would admit, and I was fully in support of the Browns making this move. And I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what I am fully in support of this Brown of the Browns making this exact same move again. If it came to it, Like, if we could go back in time, would I undo the Watson trade? Hell no. Absolutely not. You would roll those dice every time to get a player of that caliber. But the first point is that you don't, we don't have enough evidence to know that this thing has not worked yet. Contrary to popular belief, everybody in this society wants immediate results for everything for everything and it just doesn't work that way y'all it just doesn't Deshaun Watson is in his second season of a five-year deal with the Browns and as many people will point out the cap hit for Deshaun is going to be over 60 million dollars for next year and 2025 and 2026 okay so we know that So he's not going anywhere, which means you cannot fully judge this thing until the contract is over and until his stint with the Browns is over. Or when at least the writing's on the wall that it's over, you know what I mean? And we're not at that point yet because last time I checked, well, I'm going to get to that in a minute. (laughs) But the point is, is that the contract, First of all, I get so sick of all these TV shows that the first thing out of their mouth, the first thing out of their mouth is to talk about Watson's guaranteed money. There are specific shows that anytime they do a segment on Deshaun Watson, it's it's specifically through the lens of, well, Deshaun makes $230 million guaranteed. 
Like that's the that's the premise of which they frame every single Deshaun conversation. They never talk about football. Or the, or football at best is secondary. And that drives me up the freaking wall, okay? We get it. The guy makes a lot of money. Saying that Deshaun Watson is falling short of his 230 plus million dollar guaranteed contract is low-hanging sports talking head fruit. And I'm not going to let these dummies slide on that anymore. Like every time you have a conversation about Deshaun, you have to talk about the contract every time, every time, you know what I'm saying? Like every time it comes up, it's like, well, is he worth the money? Is he living up to the contract? Is he finally going to start making, making do on that 230? It's like, dog, like, can we understand, do we understand that Deshaun's not the only guy in the NFL that makes a lot of money? In fact, as of this past September, Deshaun Watson is ninth in the NFL in terms of total value of contracts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth behind Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and then Deshaun Watson. Those first eight names that I read, they all have contracts whose total value are higher than Deshaun's. Now, if you want to get to the guaranteed money, Deshaun is number one at $230 million. But again, as of September, Joe Burrow signed a huge extension. He's at $219 million guaranteed. He's only $11 million guaranteed less than Deshaun Watson. Now I say only in quotes, right? But in the context of 230 million, 11 million is not that much. And Deshaun's guarantees only surpass that of Joe Burrow's by $11 million. He only surpasses Justin Herbert by $12 million. So it's not as if Deshaun Watson is on some island like he makes so much more money than everybody else. And guess what? As these contracts keep coming up, eventually somebody's going to surpass Deshaun Watson's number of 230 guaranteed. Even if it's not the full guarantee amount, maybe it's the word fully or full that gets people all twisted up and gets their panties in a bunch. I don't know, but I'm just saying there are other, as, as these contracts continue to mature and as, as different cats become extension eligible, they will begin to receive contracts worth more than Watson's $230 million. Joe Burrow is already hanging out at 19. And what's Joe Burrow done this season? Since we're on the subject, Joe Burrow, who I like, by the way, as a player, I talked him up on the podcast years ago. But Joe Burrow, for the season, his QBR is 53.8. That is 18th in the NFL. 18th. He's completing 67% of his throws. But he's at 2,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, 6 picks through 9 games. His passer rating is 90.5. That QBR I mentioned was 18th in the NFL. 18th in the NFL, but he's making $219 million guaranteed. Like, why don't we ever hear that? We don't hear that with Joe Burrow. You know what I'm saying? We don't hear that with him. Justin Herbert probably has better numbers than Joe Burrow. 
But Joe Burrow's team, by the way, is only five and four in those nine games. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert has better individual statistics than Joe Burrow, but his team sits outside of the playoffs. If they were to start today, his Chargers are four and five. Joe Burrow's Bengals are five and four. Those two guys have contracts of 218 and 219 million dollars guaranteed, respectively. Deshaun is just a stone's throw away, but in the games that he started, his team is four and one. Okay? If you want to throw in the Colts game, they're five and one. I wouldn't do that, but they are, okay? They're four and one with Deshaun as the starter this year. Oh, and by the way, Deshaun kicked the crap out of Joe Burrow in week one. Deshaun also outplayed Lamar Jackson this past Sunday. So when we talk about his contract, we need to understand that Deshaun's contract is not light years ahead of other guys in the NFL. Now, you may look at Joe Burrow and say, well, Joe Burrow's gone to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's gone to multiple AFC championship games. Hence, he deserves that money. And that's a fair case to make. But why is it that Justin Herbert gets $218 million guaranteed? So he's only $12 million behind Deshaun. What has Justin Herbert ever accomplished? Deshaun Watson's been to the playoffs. Deshaun Watson has put up massive stats for multiple seasons. He's put up tremendous stats on a bad team before. That's all Justin Herbert does is put up great stats on bad teams. But you want to reward Joe Burrow for winning. Well, Deshaun Watson's team is winning right now. So why is it that y'all say that Watson's not worthy of the money? Like, which, which one is it? Can y'all make it make sense? And part two of Attack on the Dummies as it relates to his contract isn't, has, doesn't have so much to do with the money as much as it has to do with the acquisition of Watson itself. Because the Browns gave up multiple draft picks to get him, three first-round picks and, and other additional late-round picks as mentioned earlier. Every time I hear a national sports commentator open their mouth about the NFL. All they talk about is the quarterback and all they say is how important and desperately vital a quarterback is to your success. And that if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have Jack. All right. You have no chance. That's what they would want you to believe. And if that's the case, then there is no price that you could put on a franchise quarterback that's too high. Right? So like people are saying that this Deshaun Watson acquisition is a bust and a failure. But the main reason they're saying it right now is because dude got hurt. People get hurt. It's football. It's football. Guys get hurt. It sucks. Okay? It sucks. Nobody wants to see him get hurt. Well, Most people don't want to see Deshaun get hurt, but injuries are part of the game, unfortunately. Deshaun has had two ACL tears going years and years and years ago, way back in the day. He's dealt with some injuries before, but he's played through a collapsed lung before. Remember he was so injured that that he couldn't even get on an airplane? It was dangerous, physically dangerous for him to get on an airplane. And so instead, he drove in a car from Houston to Jacksonville so he could play in the game on Sunday against the Jaguars. 
And then now you have people coming back and questioning his toughness after he had his first shoulder injury. And it's like, dog, he can't throw the football. If his shoulder is hurt to the point that he can't throw it, then he can't play. It's just that simple. He's the quarterback. And people are like, oh, well, of course they want to protect their investment. It's like, hell yeah, you want to protect your investment. That's the smart thing to do. Why are the Browns getting crap for wanting to protect their investment? Sitting Deshaun down until he was ready to play was the right thing to do. Unequivocally. He comes out now and injures his shoulder during the Ravens game, finishes the game, has a high ankle sprain, and finishes the game with that, leads the game-winning drive making big throws with the bum shoulder and big runs with the bum ankle to set the Browns up for the game-winning field goal. That's how dumb y'all look talking about his toughness. But to get back to the acquisition point of it, if Patrick Mahomes, who is universally regarded as the best quarterback in football today, if he suddenly became available on the trade market, teams would be lining up to give four first-round picks for Mahomes, five first-round picks for Mahomes, 200 $50 million guaranteed. There would be no limit to the assets that people gave away. They would be running to the Kansas City Chiefs headquarters to give the franchise keys to Mahomes. Give them everything. Give them the deed to the stadium. Give them the owner's car. Give them whatever he wants. Give them whatever he wants. Like There is no limit to what Patrick Mahomes would net in a trade if he demanded a trade from the Chiefs today. There's no limit to what the Chiefs would net in a trade for him. Okay, And the team that traded for Mahomes would be praised. They would be praised universally by all the talking heads. They got Mahomes. They got the guy. They went out and they got their guy. But what happens if Mahomes get hurt? Oh, no, Mahomes tears his ACL. Oh, no, Mahomes tears his Achilles. Oh, no, he pops his shoulder. Oh, no, he tore pec muscle. He's done for the year. Would that make it a bad trade all of a sudden? If you want to argue that it's bad business to invest that much asset into any person, any singular player, then fine. I'll listen to that. But that's not the argument that people are making with Deshaun. And I understand it's not completely apples to apples with Deshaun and Mahomes. There was legal implications with uh, Deshaun and all that stuff. Mahomes has accomplished more. I got it. Okay, no need to bring that up. My point is is that if you're trying to get a franchise quarterback who by last check, by by everybody's account, Watson was a top five quarterback in football the last full season he played in Houston. And even if Mahomes took a year off, people would still be lining up to to give the franchise away to trade for him in return. And then don't worry about the rest of it later. Because franchise quarterbacks that are in their mid-20s don't grow on trees. They don't just become available all the time. And nobody looks at the contract situation from the Browns' perspective. I've said this numerous times on, on Twitter and possibly on the podcast previously. Cleveland is not a destination for free agency. We know that from any sport. What Cleveland is known for is star players leaving. LeBron James left twice. He's from the area, won a championship, still left twice. Jim Tomey left, Manny Ramirez left, Albert Bell left, 
all the great players tend to leave Cleveland because Cleveland's not a sexy city. Okay, it's great. It's my home. I love it. It's a great place to live and raise a family and have uh, an affordable home and and a place to live or whatever. But young, rich athletes don't want to live there. It's cold, you know, and there's other places that are more glamorous. And I get that. Okay, but the problem is nobody else seems to get that. So they're like, well, it's Cleveland. Leave it to Cleveland, a poverty franchise and a a franchise has always made poor business decisions. Leave it to them to give Deshaun Watson 200. Do you not understand that that's the only way that Deshaun was going to come there? Okay, that doesn't mean that Deshaun is only about the money, but it was the only way way that they were going to get Deshaun in the door. They had to come with a, a deal that was a little bit higher. They had to make an offer that Deshaun couldn't refuse. That was the only way he was ever going to come to Cleveland. He wasn't going to... Deshaun was considering the New Orleans Saints, the Carolina Panthers, and the Atlanta Falcons at the time. Notice those are all southern cities. Those were the cities that he was considering. He's from Atlanta, went to college at Clemson, played his pro ball in Houston. That guy is from the south, and that's all he knew. Okay? So it was going to take an exorbitant amount of money to get him to leave... That's it, to leave the South to come to Cleveland to play pro football. That's just what it is. There is no way that Jimmy and D Haslam could have offered Watson the same contract that those other teams were willing to offer, and he would have accepted it. If the same deal was on the table with those other teams, and Deshaun's looking at all of his options, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to go with Cleveland. That wasn't going to happen. So the Browns had to outbid their oppositions. That's just what they had to do in order to get their guy. And by the way, the Browns have tried to get everybody. They've tried big quarterbacks. They've tried small quarterbacks. They've tried black quarterbacks. They've tried white quarterbacks. They've tried veteran quarterbacks. They've tried rookie quarterbacks. They've tried old rookie quarterbacks. They've tried... Uh, everything, any combination you can think of. They've tried mobile guys. They've tried pocket guys. They, anything, they've tried it all. The Browns have tried it all. And so I'm not going to blame the Browns for finally saying, you know what? We're pushing all our chips in on the table on this known commodity that everybody is in agreement is one of the five best quarterbacks on earth. We're going to go get him. Why would you blame the Browns for that? From a football standpoint, say what you will about the accusations off the field. Those are just that. They're accusations. None of it was proven. Even the, the document that, that Sue L. Robinson put out said that Deshaun didn't force anybody to do anything. You know, there's some questionable decisions that he may have made. And I understand. And I've said this on the podcast before, too. I understand that Deshaun, it feels icky that he had all these accusations come out against him. And then he immediately signs the richest guaranteed contract in league history. Those two episodes juxtaposed one another coming on the heels of one another. It's, it's understandable why people don't like that. That leave, that left a bad taste in my mouth, but people keep saying that the Browns rewarded him with a contract. Like, no, they didn't. They didn't reward him with the contract. They gave him that contract because that was the only way that they were going to get their guy. They wanted a surefire, bulletproof, 
or, cl- or as close as they could get to a sure pro- surefire bulletproof plan to get a quarterback into Cleveland that was the real deal. Because since 1999, they had never done that. They've drafted guys number one overall. They've drafted guys in the first round. They've drafted guys in the third round. They've drafted guys later than that. They've they've done the free agency thing, veterans, everything. Any combination of quarterback you can come up with, they've tried it, and none of them worked out. So they went with the most foolproof plan they could find. A mid-20s, top-five quarterback became available, and they were in the market. And they pushed all their chips in. I'm not going to fault them for that. Okay? Even with the suspension looming, because a lot of people are saying, well, he hasn't played in two years. And now they're saying, you know, he, he won't have played in three years, which isn't true because he's played last year and this year. So, But be that as it may, the 11-game suspension wasn't necessarily an 11-game suspension. We didn't know if Deshaun was going to get suspended for the entire season last year. So people are factoring in the fact that he only played in six games last year as if that's some kind of loss. It's like, well, you knew that he was going to be suspended. Some people thought it was going to be zero. Some people thought it was going to be two to four. Some people thought it was going to be the whole season. Initially, it was what? Four games, and then they upped it to 11 because Goodell didn't want to look bad, even though he his own system said it was nah, you, he should get four games. And then they rigged it against him, and they gave him 11 games. Okay. But that's still more than what was expected, right? So, again, I'm not blaming the Browns, and anybody would trade for Mahomes even if Mahomes got hurt. Even if Herbert, if Herbert wanted out of L.A., Herbert's got a reason to want to get out of L.A. Have you seen their team? Herbert should be asking to leave L.A. And if he did, teams would be lined up around the block or lined up around SoFi, all up and down the streets of Inglewood, trying to trade for Justin Herbert, giving four or five first-round picks away. And nobody would bat an eye at it. Because he's in his mid-20s, he's big, he's strong, he's put up monster numbers, and he's a proven commodity. And that's the same thing Deshaun Watson was. And if Justin Herbert were to get hurt immediately after signing with that new team or getting traded to that new team, that would not make it a bad trade. Shit happens, man. It's football. All right? So that's the first point. I was, oh, my God. We got more to get to. The second thing, let's talk about Deshaun's on-the-field performance. Let's let's dial it back a little bit. All right. (laughs) Okay, so Deshaun Watson has played 11 games with the Browns. He played six games last year. He's played six games this year, but really five if you don't count the Colts game where he left early. But why don't we run that down a little bit? Because the prevailing wisdom is that he's been awful. And I get it. Like, the numbers aren't pretty. So I'm not here to say... Deshaun's been the best quarterback in the NFL in his time in Cleveland. He has performed at a level lower than I thought he would have up to this point as a Brown. So I'm just putting that out there, okay? That statement's out there. However, I still believe that he has performed better than what people give him credit for. All right? If you look at last season, his first game back was against Houston. Very poor game statistically, but it was his first game back. It was his first game, and he was playing in Houston. So I'm not going to crush him for that, especially considering that, again, the Browns had to tailor the offense to Deshaun after tailoring it one way all season for Jacoby Brissett, 
Now they had to tailor it another way for Deshaun. The, def- the offensive line didn't even know how to block for him. He's, he's running around. He's scrambling. Jacoby didn't do none of that, okay? So first game, not pretty statistically. The Browns won, so Deshaun got a win. But he didn't look that great in that game. Understood. Second game. Ah, the Browns only scored 10 points. They lost to Cincinnati. But Deshaun did complete 62% of his throws. He did throw 200 for 276 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Ran for 33 yards. Okay, that's not awful. I mean, like, it's not great, but it's not awful, awful. Right? His QBR was 63. That's pretty decent out of 100. Okay. His third game was against the Baltimore Ravens. He beat the Ravens last year. I bet y'all forgot that. Deshaun beat the Ravens last year. He did. It was in December. Again, not pretty statistically. Didn't throw an interception that game. Didn't have a touchdown. All right. Beat Baltimore. That's a division rival. That's the vaunted Ravens defense and all that stuff. Deshaun beat him last year. Okay. Then we move to the fourth game. That was against the Saints. They lost that game. Deshaun's numbers, not pretty in that game. He did run for a touchdown in that game. He did throw an interception. That was, if you remember, that game was like 10 degrees below zero in Cleveland. The Saints should have never won that game. The Browns didn't run the ball enough. But down late, Deshaun led the Browns down the field for the would-be tying touchdown drive. He threw two passes in the end zone at the end of that game that hit receivers in the hands. Both were dropped. One Donovan Peoples-Jones, two David Njoku. So that late game magic Deshaun stuff that we saw in Houston that people have been waiting to see, he did it in that game. The guys just didn't catch the football. If they do, maybe the Browns tie the game. Maybe they go to overtime and win. Who knows? They ended up losing that game. But Deshaun led the drive. I mean, he did his job. He did his part to to get the Browns back in that game. The next game was against the Washington Commanders. Deshaun threw three touchdowns in the second half. His passer rating for the game, 122.5. Doesn't sound like the worst quarterback trade of all time yet. Okay, it's not great, but 122.5, three touchdowns and a half, that sounds pretty damn good to me. The last game last year was against the Steelers. He threw two touchdowns. He threw two interceptions. That game was not great. Uh, And the Browns, it seemed like they kind of punted on him. They probably should have won because the Steelers still weren't that good, but they lost that game. Okay, that one wasn't pretty. So, you know, all in all, it was a pretty mixed bag last year, which under the circumstances... It's pretty good for Deshaun, considering what he was coming from. And there were a lot of quality throws in these games that most of y'all didn't see. Because anytime Deshaun makes a mistake, it gets it goes viral on, on Twitter, right? And you see it a thousand times over when he makes a bad mistake. But if he does something well, you don't really see it that much. All right, so that brings us to this year. First game of the year, Monsoon in Cleveland in September. Against the Bengals and Joe Burrow, Mr. $219 million fully guaranteed quarterback. Deshaun's numbers were great. Only uh, 154 yards passing, 55% completions, one touchdown, one interception. But he did run for a touchdown and ran for 45 yards. So So he was fully accounted for two touchdowns in the game. And they beat the Bengals. That's a division rival. Everybody said was was a Super Bowl contender. The Browns beat the brakes off the Bengals. It was 24-3. I told y'all on the podcast of Brandon, the Browns are going to win that game, and they did. Okay? 
Second game of the year against the Steelers. Deshaun was not good. Okay? That weather was not a factor that night, but he did not complete more than 55% of his throws. Had two turnovers. But one and one of them was a pick six. But that interception was the first pass of the game, first play of the game. It did go off of Harrison Bryant's hands. It did. It went right off the guy's hands, right into the defender's hands, who ran right into the end zone. Okay? That's a bad break. If Harrison Bryant hits the ball, game doesn't start like that. Who knows how it turns out, but the Browns aren't starting from a seven-point hole 10 seconds into the game. We know that. Also, this is the same game where Nick Chubb, God bless him, tore his knee up. And I haven't even gotten to that. I was devastated when Nick Chubb got hurt, as was every Browns fan. All right? This is the best runner in football. You can argue he's not the best running back overall. He's the best runner of the football in football. He was a big reason why I was so bullish on the Browns' chances this year. And they lost him not six quarters into the season. Nick Chubb, gone. Pains me just to say it. Okay? And considering the nature of the injury, you remember everybody kneeling down, praying and stuff, even the Steelers fans were standing and clapping for him as he got carted off. That can take a toll on a team. So losing your top offensive weapon, your top offensive player, really, in the middle of the game, I can see that why that might throw the game plan off a little bit. I can see why that might throw the offense into flux a little bit. And so Deshaun lost a fumble late. Browns lost the game. Not his best performance. But his best performance arguably came the following Sunday against Tennessee. 27 to 33, 289 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. The man completed 81.8% of his passes. That was this year. That was less than two months ago. But it was in that game that he got hurt. And then he missed three games or parts of four games. He came back against Indianapolis. He threw five passes. Uh, One of them was intercepted. They took him out and they said, you're not ready to go back in. The Browns went on to win the Colts game. Okay. And in between that, they beat San Francisco at home. They lost to the Seattle Seahawks in a game that they should have won. Had they run the ball on third and three, like I was screaming at my TV, they should have. They probably would have won that game. And then a game against Arizona comes on November 5th. Deshaun goes 19 for 30, 219 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran for 22 yards. And he had a passer rating of 107.5. By the way, his passer rating against Tennessee, 123.4. His QBR against Tennessee was 79.9, which is tremendous. Okay? And then that takes us to Sunday, where once again, the first pass of the game, this one gets batted up in the air on a fluke play and gets caught and taken back for a pick six. That wasn't Deshaun's fault. I don't put either of those pick sixes, the one in Pittsburgh or the one against Baltimore, on Deshaun. I mean, one of them went off the receiver's hands. One of them, the receiver, the defender just made a tremendous play. That just happens. That's football. It's his job to overcome it. He didn't overcome it against Pittsburgh, but he did against Baltimore. Against the alleged best defense in the league, Deshaun went 14 for 14 in the second half after starting just one for nine in the first half, passing. And he threw a touchdown, didn't have any more turnovers after that, ran for 37 yards, and of course had the game-winning drive, led the Browns from a a 15-point deficit in the fourth quarter 
or in the second half, I think 14 points in the fourth quarter, led them back to win the game in Baltimore. By the way, the Ravens were the team that everybody said, everybody said the Ravens were the best team in football coming off the beatdown that they put on the Seahawks and Lions in consecutive weeks. Then they play the Browns, and the Browns go in there without their starting tackles, and Deshaun Watson beats them. And many people called this Ravens game last week his best game as a Brown. Not the Arizona game that I just spoke about. Not the Tennessee game that I just spoke about. Not when he beat up on Cincinnati earlier this year with two touchdowns in that game. Not the three-touchdown game against the Redskins, or excuse me, (laughs) the Commanders last year. No, this was his best game. So I understand when you look at the statistics of Deshaun Watson, it doesn't look great. But when you... When you go through game by game, it's really not as bad as people make it out to be. His performance has been less than what I thought it was going to be. But the Browns, again, 4-1 and one with him as a starter this year. In his last three games that he started and finished, Deshaun Watson completed 68% of his throws for 721 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, and a 3-0 and record including a win at Baltimore. That was his last three games that he started and finished with the Browns. So again, I ask, where in that is he the worst quarterback acquisition of all time? The worst trade ever? Because he got hurt? Anybody can get hurt. I mean, like, I would, I would, I would hope the Cavs traded for Victor Wembanyama tomorrow. That'd be awesome. And if Wemby gets hurt, but we gave up Darius Garland and a first-round pick and some other stuff to get him, so be it. <laughs> it, just ha- it happens. It's a bad break. It doesn't make it a bad move. And the fact that the Browns are still 6-3, and three, despite all the injuries that they've had, including Jack Conklin in the first week of the season, for the season, it just goes to show you that Andrew Barry's done a tremendous job building this roster. And that he should be praised in spite of the fact that you could argue that they should have had a better backup in place. The Browns are the real deal. Because even despite their quarterback play being what it is, they're still 6-3. and three. And I think they're going to win Sunday against Pittsburgh. I do. I think DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I think for one game, the Browns can summon enough get-back <laughs> against Pittsburgh after coming off that Nick Chubb game that they should have won in Pittsburgh. And they were already playing for Chubb. Now they're playing for Chubb and Watson on Sunday. It's going to be a zoo in downtown Cleveland at Brown Stadium. Okay? I think we're going to be past the doom and gloom of the Deshaun injury. And I think for one day, they're going to put it all together for DTR. That would move the Browns to 7-3 and three if they were able to do that. And all they got to do is get past Kenny Pickett. And he's trash. So we know that they can do that. Okay? They beat the 49ers at home. They can beat the Steelers at home with a backup. So we've talked about the contract and the trade and all that stuff. We've talked about Deshaun's performance on the field. We went through every game, and he's been better than what people give him credit for. And the last point that I want to make is the karma point. You're seeing articles pop up. You've seen a lot of people comment on social media talking about Deshaun and how this is what he gets and this is what the Browns get for selling their soul and all this other stuff. It's nonsense. All right, let's just put this to bed real quick. 
the football gods have hated Cleveland long before Deshaun Watson ever got here. <laughs> right? When has the football gods ever smiled upon Cleveland? Not since the 60s. The Browns stunk in the 70s. The 80s was nothing. They had some great teams in the 80s, but it's filled with a whole lot of red right 88 and fumble and drive and lost AFC championship games. That was the 80s. The 90s had a little bit of promise, and then the team moved to Baltimore and birthed the Ravens. You're welcome, Baltimore. You're freaking welcome. All right? And then since 99, it's been a mess. It's been bad quarterback after bad quarterback after terrible GM. GM's cussing out the fans in letters. Uh, Guys, free agent acquisitions getting hurt on the first play of training camp for their careers. I mean... The Browns have just seen, you know, quarterbacks getting trapped under the flag. Johnny Manziel getting drunk in Vegas before games, not studying the playbook at all. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the Browns can't get a stroke of good luck to save their lives. They changed the owner and nothing changed on that front. And I appreciate Jimmy Haslam's desire to want to win and stopping at nothing, leaving no stone unturned. And Browns fans should applaud that. And people outside of Cleveland should appreciate that, but they don't. But you can't make the argument that this is about karma. If karma were a thing in this instance, why wouldn't the Houston Texans be the ones to receive it? Because everything that Deshaun Watson is accused of doing, he did with the Houston Texans, not with the Cleveland Browns. And everything that Deshaun Watson did in Houston was partially facilitated by the Houston Texans because they were the ones who had knowledge of what he was doing because they provided him with non-disclosure agreements that he was giving to the massage therapist. Nobody seems to care about that. Why am I the only one that cares? So whatever indignity or whatever, you know, any type of disdain or negativity you have towards the Browns for affiliating themselves with Deshaun Watson, they just gave him a second chance. They did not help facilitate any of the acts that he was accused of, which is what the Houston Texans did. And what was their reward for that? The Texans got a bunch of draft picks back from the Browns to help rebuild their team. They stunk for a couple of years, and then they stumbled into C.J. Stroud, who is the runaway candidate for Rookie of the Year this year. Some are arguing is in the MVP conversation this year. By the way, this is the same C.J. Stroud that Mark Hicks and I told you back in April should have been the number one pick to Carolina, but I digress. Check out the Mark Draft Podcast. We're just we're just right again. That's all. We're just right all the time. But. Told y'all not to draft Bryce Young in Carolina. What the hell was y'all thinking? The guy is smaller than me. Why would you do that? Why would you draft this shrimp to play quarterback? Anyway. So where's the karma for the Houston Texans? I don't understand. If karma is the thing, the Browns did not reward Watson for committing these alleged acts. The Browns paid him because it was the only way that he was going to come to Cleveland. The timing of it just made it look bad. That's all it was. It wasn't a reward for allegedly assaulting these women. But it seems to me that if karma were a real thing in football, 
that the team that was helping to facilitate those acts would have been the ones to catch the negative karma. And if that were the case, then C.J. Stroud would not be balling away in Houston the way that he is. He wouldn't even be in Houston. He'd be with Carolina or somebody else. Also, if karma were a thing in football, why are the Pittsburgh Steelers still competitive? They may not have a quarterback, but they're still a competitive team. They can somehow win these football games week after week. God knows how. By the grace of God, they're winning these games. But their quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, was accused of rape on two separate occasions. So Watson was accused of assault by many, many more women. But nobody accused him of rape. And nobody suggested that he forced anybody to do anything that they didn't want to do. Ben Watson. Ben Watson. Ben Roethlisberger accused of rape on two separate occasions. Both of those got wiped away, whatever, dropped, whatever. And now he's going to Canton. And now they're doing the send-off for him in Pittsburgh on his last game like he's some kind of hero and all this stuff. And you have Steelers fans that are literally looking down their nose at Browns fans talking about, I could never root for a guy like that. How could you? The Browns are always going to be da-da-da. And it's like, dog, you root for Ben Roethlisberger. That's not even talking about all the dirty hits and cheap shots that their team has levied against the Browns and others over the years. That's not talking about all of the fact that the all of the uh, benefits they've gotten from the officials over the years to the point that the referees that officiated the Super Bowl against the Seahawks that they won had to apologize for how poorly that game was officiated. They literally had to apologize to the Seahawks because of how one-sided the officiating was in that game. That actually happened. Look it up. Google's free. Look it up. But there's no karma for that. There's no karma for all the dirty hits. There's no karma for their uh, dynasty in the 70s being built off steroids. There's no karma for any of that. There's no karma for Ben Roethlisberger, right? Why are the Steelers still competitive to this day? Why are the Ravens still competitive to this day? Ray Lewis got accused of killing a guy. Literally, he went to court and everything. Like, Watson didn't go to court. He went to civil court. That ain't the same thing. Ray Lewis went to criminal court. Where's the karma for that? So don't tell me about karma and the Browns. Okay? You can talk to me about curses. <laughs> you can't talk to me about karma. Karma doesn't exist in this scenario. I'm sorry. That, that's, that's another dummy argument. All right? So you told y'all we was coming after dummies, man. The dummies that argue that Watson has been a bust as a quarterback is not true. The dummies that argue that this is karma for the Browns that's not true. The dummies that argue that the contract is, is such the, is a horrific, horrific albatross that can't be overcome and that the trade was the worst trade ever, also dumb. If the trade was that bad and the Browns lost out on that many draft picks, they would not have been able to build the team that they have around them right now. A team that's been going 6-3 and three in spite of all the fluctuation at quarterback. The Browns haven't really missed those draft picks. Have you noticed? Because they're among the top teams in the AFC right now. And by the way, Miles Garrett should not only be the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year, he should be the front runner for MVP right now. Because they're going to try to give it to a quarterback one way or another. But no quarterback has stood out this year. Quarterback play is down across the NFL, not just to Sean. It's down across the NFL. Miles Garrett should be in the running, if not the leading candidate for MVP right now. 
And if the Browns make the playoffs, give Stefanski coach of the year, give Miles Garrett MVP. I've been ranting for an hour in here. Jesus. Y'all get me so worked up about all the misinformation that's out there about the Cleveland Browns. They're not perfect. You can go back on our website, hiphopsportsreport.com, and find the articles where I've ripped the Browns before. I ripped them when they deserve it. They don't deserve it right now. And neither does Deshaun Watson, contrary to popular belief. Watson has been good with the Browns. He was 3-3 three and three last year as a starter. He's 4-1 and one this year as a starter, not counting the Colts game. So, I mean, he's doing pretty well from a wins-loss standpoint. And any time that he's actually gotten a few games under, under his belt this year, he's done well, but then he gets sidetracked by injury. And that's just what happens, man. That's just what happens. That's just the nature of football. Football is a physical, violent game. And so I, it devastates me as a fan that Browns fans who had to wait for so long for Deshaun to finally get on the field, only get him for a little bit, and then it gets taken away from him. It gets scooped away, you know? It just sucks for the fans more than anybody and the players, of course. The team, the players, and the fans in the city just suffer because of it. And teams like Kansas City and Miami and all the other division opponents in the AFC North, they all get to just laugh all the way to the bank because they know that the Browns aren't what they once were. I guarantee you none of those teams wanted to see the Browns in the playoffs. Not with that defense. I'm not saying that the Kansas City Chiefs would be scared of the Browns, but they would rather not play the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. I promise you. I promise you. Look at how trash the Chiefs' offense have looked this year. They're one Travis Kelsey injury away from being completely screwed. And yet, they're still 7-2, and two, but they would not want to see the Browns with Deshaun. Man, give, <laughs> I, oh my God, give the Browns, Watson, and Chubb back and let them go against the Chiefs. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'd be ready to put money on the Browns in a playoff game. I mean, I'm, just, I'm saying, look at what the Browns are putting together right now with P.J. Walker handing off to Pierre Strong. It just sucks that it went down this way. A few other takes I want to get off my chest before we get out of here. I mentioned the Chiefs. I think they might be in some trouble this year. At least people love their defense. The offense sputtering. I don't know if the offense is going to get on track. If Kelsey goes down, they're done. They cannot withstand or survive a Travis Kelsey injury. He missed one game this year. They lost that game. Their offense doesn't look good with him. They got the Taylor Swift stuff going on. That's, that's kind of a distraction, I feel like. The defense is improved in Kansas City. Mahomes is still, they're still licking his ass every time he throws a three-yard touchdown. I'll never understand it. I will never understand the hysteria around Mahomes. I just won't. He's great. He's a great player. I'll just never be able to fully like embrace the Mahomes thing. You know what I'm saying? Because I had to sit there and watch them rake Tom Brady over the coals for being a dink and dunk passer for years, completely ignoring the Randy Moss years of his era. Like that never happened. But now Mahomes, 
Just look at his touchdowns. You can go on YouTube and watch all of his touchdowns from last year. All of them are from inside the 10-yard line. Half of them are passes behind the line of scrimmage. And then guys run into the end zone, and then everybody's supposed to kiss Mahomes' ass. I'm not saying that Mahomes can't throw it deep because we've seen him do that. So I, I know he can do it. But then they give him MVPs and awards and stuff based on his numbers. But his numbers are fraudulent because he's throwing behind the line of scrimmage from the five-yard line. And they're running it into the end zone. And then he has all these touchdowns. And then people are like, well, he's the MVP. And it's like, no, he's not. (laughs) Not for that. Come on. You know, so anyway. And speaking of Brady, uh, the Bill Belichick thing. I don't know if Bill Belichick. I would not fire Bill Belichick if I was the Patriots. I would say... It's funny now how everybody's finally come around on my Belichick position that I've had on this podcast for like five damn years. How many years ago have I been talking about Bill Belichick not being the main cause behind the success of the New England Patriots dynasty? I've been telling you all that for years. And now people are so far on board with the Belichick thing, they're actually doing the take wrong. They're saying Belichick's trash and Belichick stinks and Belichick was never anything and he was never any good. And Tom Brady completely completely made him. That's not true. Belichick is great. He is the greatest coach of this generation. He's just not the greatest coach ever. That's a lie. So anytime people just kind of flippantly throw out, oh, he's the greatest coach of all time. No, he's not. He was never that. But he is the best coach of his generation. And he deserves credit for helping make Brady into the quarterback that he is today. He just never was remotely the most responsible reason for the Patriots success. That's just how that goes. Stop stealing my takes and getting them wrong, y'all. Come on. Do better. And so, due to some scheduling issues and different things, we had to resume the podcast on Friday, November the 17th. And in that time frame, the Cincinnati Bengals lost to the Baltimore Ravens, lost their quarterback, Joe Burrow, and pretty much have lost their entire season at this point. Uh, they're done, folks. Uh, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, they're they're uh, they about to be up out of here. You know, at five and five, good luck trying to make it through the rest of their schedule in the AFC. The, the, the this whole thing is just lining up for the Chiefs yet again. It's pretty remarkable. We know that the Kansas City Chiefs have no other reliable pass catcher outside of Travis Kelsey, the product of Cleveland Heights, Ohio, by the way, and. We're seeing the dangers of the NFL and and what injuries can do to teams. I mean, we saw Mark Andrews leave that game as well for Baltimore. They may be in a lot of trouble without him. But I know Kansas City would be in a lot of trouble without Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, I just put this on Twitter earlier this evening or, or earlier today. I just put this on Twitter earlier today. Is it not weird that the Chiefs, all of their best games, like all of their toughest opponents are always at home. Why is that? Why, why do they play so many home games against good teams? Anytime the Chiefs are in prime time, if they're not playing against an AFC West opponent, they're at home. At least that's what it seems like. That's what it feels like. I went back and looked at their schedule because I thought that they were playing the Eagles in Philadelphia this weekend. I'm like, there's no way they're playing in Kansas City again. They're always in Kansas City. And I look up and what do you know? At Arrowhead. And I'm like, are you serious? Now, I don't want to knock Kansas City for not playing any road playoff games because that's kind of silly. Like, they've earned the right to play at home all the time, so they deserve credit for that. However, when we go to put Mahomes 
in his all-time discussion and we put him ahead of guys like Tom Brady. Some uh, dummies do that as we continue to attack dummies on this podcast. Some of them try to put Mahomes ahead of Tom Brady, and it's like we've never even seen Pat Mahomes play in a real playoff game. Now, again, that's a testament to him and how dominant he and his team has been. But also, the hardest game you can probably win I mean, you could argue that it's harder to win a road conference championship game than it is a Super Bowl because at least Super Bowls are on neutral site and usually the crowd is full of like investment bankers and a bunch of other white collar folks that don't really have too much interest in the game. They're not really fans of either team. They just got tickets through business connections and they're just there parlaying uh, at the Super Bowl just laid up in a suite or whatever and they, they're not really into it like that or they're just general football fans and you know that don't have a dog in the fight I mean we've seen that before too so you don't get the raucous crowd that you would get like you would in a conference championship game so a road conference championship game that is a tough game to win Tom Brady's won three of those we've never even seen Mahomes in a road playoff game of any kind And so then when I look back at their schedule this year, I'm like, well, wait a minute. They played the Detroit Lions. They played the Philadelphia Eagles. They played the Buffalo Bills. They played the Cincinnati Bengals. And these are all, this is their first place schedule coming into the year, mind you. So they play those four teams, all of them at home. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) You can't tell me this doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a ruse at this point. Like, you're, you're, y'all are trying to get Mahomes into the playoffs at this point. You are trying to ensure that he has a home game or two in Arrowhead. Y'all got the snow coming down on the TV in January because it looks cool. And all, and all to see a red and all that stuff. Like, it just feels like a work at this point. I mean, if we're being completely honest. The only tough games that you could argue that they have outside of their division, because, you know, division games, you get one at home, one on the road, so those don't count. And by the way, the AFC West has been trash for years anyway, so that doesn't even matter. But in terms of who are the good teams that Kansas City is going against, they play Jacksonville in that vaunted uh, house of horrors known as whatever the hell stadium Jacksonville plays in. Yeah, they played a road game there in, in September in week two. And then... I think, well, they have one... I mean, they play... And then they, they have maybe one other one. I mean, it's, and, and it wasn't against... It was against, like, an average team. And I'm just like, where are their difficult road games? Oh, they played the Miami Dolphins. They played the Dolphins in Germany, y'all. It was a neutral site game. I'm like, what are we doing here? All of their best games are in Arrowhead. All of their toughest games. They're all in Arrowhead. Like, that's what we're doing? Okay, whatever. And speaking of Jacksonville, I told y'all, I told y'all, Trevor Lawrence, highly fraudulent. I told y'all, they kept hyping this dude up going back to Clemson as the next great quarterback prospect, putting him on a pedestal with Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway, the greatest quarterback prospect coming out of college we've ever seen. And they kept trying to lump him in with them. And I never saw it. And then he goes to the NFL and he stinks as a rookie. And they give him a pass because his coach was Urban Meyer, who all of a sudden forgot how to coach football when he got to Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. He comes back in his second year. He's below average the first half of his second season. He's above average, but not spectacular in the second half of his second season. He goes to the playoffs. He plays one playoff game. 
He throws four picks in the first half. Four. Now, in the second half, I believe he threw four touchdowns. And he led the Jags back to victory. But they played the Chargers, so you kind of have to discount that because the Chargers find ways to blow any kind of game you can think of. And then the following week, they play Kansas City, and he's below average in that game against the Chiefs. And then we come into this year, and all these publications are talking about just uh, Trevor Lawrence as if he's a top-five quarterback. He's a top-seven quarterback. And I'm like, where is the evidence of any of this? We haven't seen it. He wasn't even that great at Clemson after his freshman year, in my opinion. I mean, he was putting up numbers, but he wasn't like stuff. He wasn't doing stuff that we haven't seen before. Okay, and now here we are again. You look at him this year. Jacksonville, they got a good record. They're six and three, so it's like okay, they're doing all right. Trevor Lawrence, he's completing sixty-seven percent of his passes, but he only has twenty-one hundred yards on the year, which is like two hundred and thirty-five yards a game. That's like Deshaun Watson level yardage per game. That's the same type of yardage output that people were trashing Deshaun Watson for. He's got nine touchdowns and six interceptions. Again, the type of stuff that they trashed Deshaun Watson for. He's taken 24 sacks in nine games. Not great. His passer rating is 89.3. That is bad by today's standards. He ranks in the bottom half of the league in so many traditional passing statistics. And yet we're to believe that this guy's on some other level. I don't get it. And you shouldn't either. And while we're on the subject of the AFC South, go back and listen to the Mark draft from April and hear what we said about CJ Stroud. We told y'all, Carolina, don't take Bryce Young number one. You take CJ Stroud out of Ohio State. That's what Mark Hicks, our draft expert, told us to do. He said that's what Carolina ought to do. I was in agreement with that. Here we are. CJ Stroud looking like real deal Holyfield right now. The NFC is kind of in shambles. I don't really know what's going on there. Although I will say, I do feel like Brock Purdy gets a raw deal. Um, I don't think that Brock Purdy is the best quarterback in football. But it's just weird to me how we just decide to pick and choose who we say is good. You know what I mean? I mean, there really is like a kind of a pick and choose kind of element to this. Again, I'm not saying Brock Purdy is a world beater. But he can only do what he's what he's asked to do. He's he he's in a situation that is good. He's got good teammates around him and a good coach with him, and that's fine. But you know what? That's what Mahomes has. That's what every great quarterback has. And or has had. And the output has been special since he's become the starter in San Francisco. His production and output statistically has been great. And that's all he can do. He can't get no better than great. He's like number he's like number one or two in the league in passer rating or whatever. I mean, like he's he's been dominant statistically. And his team has been very effective and has continued to win games all the way to the NFC Championship last year. Got off to a hot start this year, stumbled mid-year. They righted the ship last week at Jacksonville. And, and, and it's like, what is Brock Purdy supposed to do? Like these guys. He consistently outperforms these other quarterbacks, but we're just supposed to believe that he's not better than them. Like the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, like the Dak Prescott's. I mean, what I mean, what is he supposed to do? He has to win the Super Bowl before y'all believe that he's good? I mean, I, I'm not saying he's the best, but Brock's pretty good, man. Brock Brock got some game to him. Y'all got to show him some damn respect. I was. I think I told you. I told you all this earlier. I was upset that I wasn't able to do a podcast 
immediately following the Browns 49ers game. I intended to, and I was going to talk in part about in, in, in part about how Miles Garrett literally tossed Trent Williams, made him touch earth. You know what I'm saying? He tossed that man, <laughs> and he had like the the greatest pass rush win rate against Trent Williams in Trent Williams' entire Hall of Fame career was Miles Garrett in that game. Miles Garrett. If you want to talk about a guy that I got wrong in the draft process, Miles Garrett would be one of them because I was not sold on him at all coming out of Texas A&M, and I was incredibly wrong about him. He's great. He's a future Hall of Famer. I think he's the current MVP of the league right now. And especially if the, let the Browns beat the Steelers and then let Mahomes lose to the Eagles on Monday night. I mean, Miles Garrett's firmly in the driver's seat. I, I think you could only argue maybe Lamar Jackson and maybe, I don't know what Jared Goff's numbers look like off the top of my head, but it's a short list of guys. I mean, Miles has been awesome on a Cleveland defense that has been at times historic this season. And there's no reason not to give it to the best defensive player on a potentially historic defense. Just for the record, I do believe the Browns will win on Sunday again. I think it's just going to be a... It's going to be one of those deals where you see a team come together for one afternoon, much like the PJ Walker San Francisco game. I mean, uh, there was like it was they weren't caught off guard anymore. They had a full week of practice with PJ Walker. They knew what it was. The Browns did, and the fans, the team, the coach, everybody kind of came together and rose up to the occasion for one afternoon and got it done over a sustained period of time. I don't know how much how much PJ Walker is going to win. I don't know how much. Dorian Thompson Robinson's going to win. But I think for one afternoon, you can kind of summon something special. And I think that's what we're about to see in Cleveland on Sunday. And frankly, you don't have to be special to beat the Steelers because they stink. Like, have you seen their, uh, like their net rating? I don't even know what the statistic is called. They're plus minus on the season. Like every other playoff team is, is in the plus, And they're like 30 points in the negative in terms of teams that have outscored them this year. It's absurd that they're winning football games at all. And so I think they're going to go into Cleveland. I think they're going to get beat. They're not going to be able to score, move the ball for real. I think the fans are going to be rabid. And I think for one afternoon, Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to put it together and he's going to do enough. He's going to hold on to the ball enough to win. Now, after that, I think it could be dicey for the Browns, but I think they'll squeak through and, and get by with enough wins to make the playoffs after that. And eh, I think they kind of blew their shot unless you know, these other guys start to go down with injury. You know, some of the Kansas City guys go down with injury. Some more Baltimore guys go down with injury. Then I think the playoffs tend to open up. But it is funny, though, how Joe Burrow went down and nobody's crushing the Bengals or their general manager for not having a suitable backup, but everybody was getting on Andrew Barry for not having a suitable backup for Deshaun Watson and for trading Josh Dobbs away and things like that. Um you know, they were already in fully invested in Deshaun. I mean, I, I can't, I can get, but so upset about that. And there's not really that many suitable backups to go around anyway. And Josh Dobbs has outperformed expectations this year so far anyway. Like what he's doing in Minnesota is great, but he wasn't that great at Tennessee before, you know, like we haven't seen him look this good before. Jump into the NBA real quick. I, I wanted to touch on, uh, uh, this Draymond Green situation. First of all, it pains me deeply as a Chris Paul fan that y'all know that I am to have to see him on the Golden State Warriors. It is, in a word, tragic. It's tragic. But it is what it is. So now I'm paying attention to more Warriors games even than what I was before. 
even more than I was before. And all I see is Draymond Green acting an ass. He is out of control. I don't know how the league only suspended him for five games. He should be banished for, I mean, I think you could argue the season. <laughs> I really do. Because the guy is a repeat offender. He goes out against the Cavaliers last week, picks a fight with Donovan Mitchell. He gives, you know, he gives him, he, he, him and Donovan are kind of going at it for a loose ball at one point. They kind of, you know, Donovan fouls him, whatever. A few plays later, Draymond gives Donovan a forearm shiver, almost sends him flying into the camera bay. Donovan comes back down the other end, chest bumps Draymond. Now they're chest to chest, and, and Donovan's basically like, "You bumped me down there on purpose. Don't do that. Don't do that again. You're gonna catch these. Catch, you're gonna catch these hands." And Draymond is like clapping in his face, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," as if he's actually doing something psychologically to affect the game, as if him doing it, make him making a dirty play, bumping Donovan Mitchell into the into the basket stanchion is like somehow psychology and he's like clapping his hands and he's like yeah i got in his head yeah and he's like trying to get the crowd all amped up on his bull crap and it's like dog you didn't do anything smart all you did was hurt your team because you got another technical foul your second of the game and you got tossed out of the game maybe he's helping maybe he's not hurting the team okay maybe he is helping them by getting kicked out of the game because he's not that good anymore but it's just crazy to me how Draymond does this crap every time. And then he acts like he's some kind of psychological wizard that he's just getting in everybody's head and getting them off their game. And it's like, no, dog, you're just a jerk off. That's all you are. You're a freaking jerk off. The next night he gets into it with Anthony Edwards, chirping with Anthony Edwards. You ain't tough. You ain't tough. Do something then. Do something then. And what does Anthony Edwards do? Does he does he th- put hands on Draymond? Nah, he just busted his ass at the end of the game and took over the game and lost the game uh, and won the game for his team and lost the game for Golden State. That's what Anthony Edwards did. So all that talking Draymond did was pointless because all it did was hurt the team because he poked the bear and then his team lost. And then the next night, Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels get into a little do si at center court. And what happens? Here comes Draymond Green, hell on wheels, looking for an excuse to act like an idiot. And he throws Rudy Gobert in a sleeper hole that would have made Rowdy Roddy Piper proud. I love uh, Rudy's comments after the fact that he was like, nah, he didn't. He couldn't choke me out, though. <laughs> like, if that was his best choice, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. Or whatever Rudy said, it was, it was entertaining. But for Draymond to do that and then not even want to let go. It's like, come on, man. He basically strangled this man at center court in front of the world two minutes into a basketball game. How are you not going to suspend him for some extended period of time? And they only gave him five games. Like, this guy's a repeat offender. This guy's been an ass for like eight years. Remember when Draymond kept hitting guys in the junk in the 2016 playoffs to the point that he got suspended in the finals? His argument was that, well, I can't control what my legs do when I go up for rebounds. That was his argument at the time. But you know what you haven't seen Draymond do lately? Is kick guys in the nuts when he's going up for rebounds. So evidently, he must have figured it out. <laughs> evidently, he can control his extremities when he's going up for rebounds. He couldn't before, but now all of a sudden he can. But he said he couldn't. So if he really truly couldn't, then that means... He would have been doing it in college. He would have been doing it when he first broke into the league. He'd still be doing it now if he truly couldn't control it. But not, but you haven't heard about that in years. Why? 
because he can't control it because he was doing it on purpose because he's a dirty player and he's a douchebag. That's why. So it's just, I don't know. Draymond, get out of here, man. Just, just, reti- just retire. He, he's just, he's bad for basketball. Just retire that guy. And he's not, he's bad for basketball and he's bad for new media. Just get him the hell out. I do think that the, uh, the, pl- the, what is it? The in season tournament. I, do y'all care? Cause I don't, I don't care yet. Maybe in time it'll grow into something that I and other people care about. It's just an excuse to put some ugly uniforms on on cats right now, as far as I can tell. And they're trying to make people care about the regular season. And I cared more about the regular season just because it was the regular season. And I love the NBA. I think this tournament thing could turn into something at some point, but right now I just don't give a damn. I really don't. And I'm not sure that the players do either. So whatever, but I appreciate the effort and I know that they do this like in soccer, I think, or in other leagues or whatever. So, you know, good on the NBA for trying something different, I suppose. Uh, I think the Cavaliers of Cleveland got some issues to work on. Um, I, I think that, you know, they got to win tonight against Detroit. Uh, a lot of teams beat Detroit. I, I've seen them not look so good against some other teams. And I, I just think the same juice isn't there for the regular season for them this year. They know that they had a great regular season last year. And went to the playoffs and got spanked in the first round by the Knicks. And so I think they've kind of come to the realization that the regular season doesn't matter all that much so long as that you get into the playoffs. And But I think that, that can you can breed bad habits through doing stuff like that. So I don't know where this is going to go for Cleveland. I'm, I'm a little nervous on how Darius Garland's looked. Um, Evan Mobley just has not developed at all. Like He's still productive, and his numbers are up slightly. But... He, his game, if you watch his games, his, he has not produced, or excuse me, he has not developed in a way that we thought he would up to this point. So that is a little bit disturbing if you're a Cavs fan. Um, he's the same guy. He's the same guy that doesn't have any confidence in his low post moves. He's constantly pump faking when he doesn't need to. He doesn't have a go-to move offensively at all. He just always looks unsure of himself. He still can't shoot jumpers at all. Like, it's that's a problem. He's got to fix that. He's got to become an offensive force at some point if the Cavs are going to take the next step. Uh, by the way, Wemby in San Antonio, guy looks like he's real deal. <laughs> Wemby looks legit. Uh, Chet Holmgren, who I was skeptical of coming out of the draft, legit. Okay, them dudes, them tall, skinny bean poles can play. They can play some basketball. Uh, let's move right along in the hip hop really quickly before we wrap up and get out of here. Cause I've held y'all longer than what I intended to. Um, I'm just going to point out right now that the allegations surrounding Sean P Diddy Combs are wild. And I guess he already settled the case with Cassie in the time that I started this podcast yesterday. He, all these accusations came out and then in the time that I resumed the podcast tonight, he already cleared it up with Cassie, I guess, and settled out of court or whatever. That's, that's crazy. Diddy, man, I've come to the realization that Diddy is just probably not a good person. I don't know the man, obviously. I've never met the man. And I'm sure he's done a lot of good things. But, I mean, when you just line it all up, I mean, this is, you know, off the top of my head. You know, he Tupac accused him of having him set up to get shot in New York. Diddy denied any involvement in that. But that was what Tupac believed from the very beginning. We, we, we know he's got these accusations now with, with Cassie and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's, what's weird is that evidently there's some, there's some issues floating around with people not believing that 
the death of Kim Porter was like on the level. Like there, like he may have had some involvement in that. Like he may have poisoned her or something like that is what the internet rumors are suggesting. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I'm not saying it is true, but it's, it's, it's weird, man. My wife was like, what 45 year old dies from the pneumonia? I'm like, hell if I know, like you got to have some other kind of preexisting condition or something like that. I don't know. All of his artists seem to either be broke, dead or in jail. You know what I'm saying? And, and cats go to him and they sign with him and then they end up with nothing. And so, or so it seems. I remember when Machine Gun Kelly first came out and he was figuring out who he was going to sign with and he signed with Bad Boy. And I remember he went on The Breakfast Club and they asked him, why'd you sign with Bad Boy? And MGK was like, because everybody told me not to sign with Bad Boy. And I thought to myself, boy, you're an idiot, dog. I don't know why you would take that approach. But he put out the Lace Up album and I don't know that he ever put out another album on Bad Boy. Maybe one other one. But we don't see Diddy hanging out with MGK anymore these days. We don't see Diddy hanging out with any of his artists. We don't see Diddy hanging out with none of the artists from the band or or, or Danity Kane. In fact, they're trashing him on social media. Danity Kane is to this day. Um, you know, you, you have all these incidents just popping up through the years. Remember the Steve Stout incident? Remember Diddy appeared on the cross in the Hate Me Now video and it wasn't supposed to air, but it aired on TRL? which I actually saw that live when it happened. And that was like the one and only time I'd ever saw the light of day. And Diddy went and beat down Steve Stout with a bat in a recording studio after that. Um, I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> Supposedly now he's trying to blow up Kid Cudi's car. Did y'all see that? Like, I mean, Diddy's got like a little rap sheet here, man. And when there's smoke, there's fire. It's, or so it appears. Like, I mean, again, this is this is we got like we're talking over 20 years of stuff and i don't know man it just doesn't look good for him for his sake i guess i hope that this all just blows over and goes away remember, oh remember when he attacked his son's football coach with a kettlebell that was something uh you know this dude just maybe just a little more gangster than any of us really realize like don't let the shiny suits fool you I don't know, man. This dude might be just a cold-hearted criminal, and I don't know. One last thing, I guess a parting shot that I'll leave you with. Um, Two things. One, you know, I saw the Grammy nominations came out. Uh, Killer Mike should probably get Rap Album of the Year. I mean, I'm not a huge Killer Mike fan personally, but his album was very good, and so he probably deserves that. Um, You know, it's weird because, you know, I like Nas more, so I like some of the work that Nas has come out with more, but... I don't know if I can say that Nas's work was better than Killer Mike's, but I like Nas better than I like Killer Mike. So which one am I going to listen to more? I'm going to listen to Nas more. But Killer Mike deserves that credit for for uh, for that album that he put out this year. That was uh, the best we've heard, I think. And then lastly, you know, uh, when it's, what, I, what I find interesting, though, the Drake's album came out and uh, it got panned by a lot of people. And then the the first person shooter song with J Cole was on there and J Cole murdered his verse and Drake got murdered on that track. And what's amazing to me is I just left, I just, that whole situation just left me wondering, like, is it possible to lose your crown as the top rapper in the game? Is it possible to lose your crown as a top rapper in the game? When you, you didn't put an album out like, like you, you basically, like basically J. Cole has bodied every guest feature verse in the last twelve to eighteen months that he's been on. And like he's you know, he's been bodying features for years, but like 
these last 12 to 18 months, like that song with Lil Yachty demolished it, just demolished it and just blew Yachty out of the water. Like the little boat didn't have any business being on that song. It's Jay, it's Cole's song now. Like he took that from him. That's Cole's song now. First person shooter, that's Cole's song. You know what I'm saying? Like very few cats are really standing up to Cole when he gets on a feature. Um, like the butcher did. Benny the butcher, I think went bar for bar with Cole on uh, Johnny P's caddy, but we're not, we're not hearing a lot of guys when Cole said FaceTime because he wanted a feature, I hit the button, the one to say, except he looked at me and saw the face of death. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a bar. And that's a fact. Like he is the grim reaper to these dudes, but feature Cole is better than album. Cole album. Cole is still great, but I mean, feature Cole is just better. And we have not heard an album from Cole in a little bit. Uh, and so it's like, how is it that you like, I feel like Cole's got the most anticipation in the game. Like when he puts out a new verse, it's the high, most highly anticipated MC in the game right now is J Cole. And yet he didn't put an album out. So is it possible for somebody like Drake or whomever to abdicate the throne to a dude that don't have an album out or hasn't put out an album in a while? Like, I guess you can do it strictly off features. I just don't remember a time in which we've seen that before where somebody just bodied feature after feature to the point where people were just like, all right, he, he's got, the, he's got the juice now. He's the one. So maybe Cole's just in uncharted waters, man, with what he's doing with these features. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's almost like, I mean, I guess, I guess it'd be the equivalent of just see, like, like in, in other contexts, we would, we would criticize him for that. Right. Like I almost said that that would be like putting up massive stats in the regular season and then being average in the playoffs, but that's James Harden. (laughs) And J Cole's a far better rapper than James Harden is a basketball player. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. So, or at least he's just a lot less reprehensible of a rapper than James Harden is a basketball player. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just an interesting thing to consider as we move forward into 2024. If J. Cole, is he the top rapper in the game today? And can he be that without a stellar album at the moment? And if he puts out his next album and it's not stellar, then what? Then who's in control of the game? I don't know. Something to think about. All right, y'all. I've talked way too long. Uh, is there other things that I probably forgot to talk about that I wanted to? Yeah. I'm not going to get to it today. But I'm going to talk to you all again soon, man. It's the preseason podcast of the year. It's Jay Hicks. Thank you for listening to me run my mouth primarily about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that can be painful for some people, but I appreciate y'all taking the time. I love y'all. Thank y'all for supporting the podcast. Like, rate, and subscribe to us when you get the chance. Tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Tell them what we're doing over here. Uh, I don't have the, the time to do it like I used to, but we're still doing it, and we're still holding on, and we're still pushing because that's all we know how to do, man. The marathon continues. This is Jay Hicks signing off. Peace. <laughs>